Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Addict Headquarters. And you're in for a real treat today, folks, because our special guest is the multi-talented Rachel Mason, who has agreed to talk about her new cinema rock opera titled The Lives of Hamilton Fish, which won the Best Picture Award from the 2014 New England Underground Film Festival. Rachel is kind of like the uh, female Orson Welles. She directed the movie, she wrote the movie, she composed the music in the movie, and stars in this unique film. And I'm so happy to say that I had the good fortune to screen it recently. Talk about creativity and originality. Wow. This little independent gym has all that and more. So we'll be hearing from Rachel right after we check with Nikki Starr to see if she's ready to help with the show. Nikki, are you as excited as I am to have Rachel Mason as our guest today? I really am. I just, I'm, I mean, the whole storyline intrigues me and just everything about it. So I'm very excited to hear about what inspired her and just everything. I can't wait. <laughs> I know, and I feel the same way about it, but I, I wanted to take a minute and uh, thank you, Nikki, for doing such a terrific job hosting our special Halloween show. I know I couldn't show up, and there you were. You just took over the show, and you and the mad movie man, A.J. Hockery, were in the zone talking about we were. Michael Myers. <laughs> you were. You I couldn't have definitely. asked for a better co-host or partner in crime than A.J., and the fact that we were talking about a movie that we're both so passionate about and agreed on, which you know is very unusual. <laughs> Yes. So we had a great time. You're usually kind of fighting over the film. Yes, but you were yes, really we are. Together, together on that one. So I do Please. urge listeners to check out the archive Please. segment of that show because uh, AJ and Nikki were um, were in, at the top of their game, and it's it's a very enlightening and entertaining uh, episode. <laughs> and I do want to mention, I I believe we have some. Some guests who are signing in the chat room. So we everything's do. working there, Nikki. It is, and um, I'm actually helping a friend who's over here visiting try to get in as well. So I'm I'm multitasking like crazy, but we'll get it. He just is really excited to listen. We there's about a the lot movie. of excitement about mm-hmm. uh, Rachel being with us, and we do appreciate the listeners who sign up for the chat as well as all our other listeners, of course. And we appreciate Rachel Mason for taking the time to be with us today. Rachel, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters. Hi, Betty Jo. Really nice to be here. We're, well, as you can tell, Vicki and I, we're just, we're just so excited to, to have you here. I want to <laughs> congratulate you on the uh, Best Picture Award from the um, Underground Film Festival. Uh, that's, that's quite an honor, and um, I imagine that you're pleased about that. 
Yes, and it was very unexpected. I I uh, really was uh, surprised, so it was a very pleasant surprise. Well, I thought it was well deserved after after seeing the film. I just I could understand why you won, and I think there's probably many more awards in your future. But why don't we start out by you telling our listeners um, how you became so interested in these two men named Hamilton Fish? <laughs> Well, it really was one of those just um, strange, random uh, accidents, actually. I I had been a volunteer art teacher at a pretty well-known prison. I'm sure you know it's called Sing Sing, and yes. it's up the Hudson River. And I live in New York, and I would go out there to volunteer as an art teacher through a program called Rehabilitation Through the Arts. And mm-hmm. this was about, I think, 2006. I was asked to be in an exhibition at a place called the Hudson Valley Center for Contemporary Art, and they were interested in if I had any ideas about making a piece that would have to do with the local history. So, of course, being fascinated with Sing Sing history, I had Mm -hmm. a book, and it, it detailed the various people who had been executed in the electric chair. And as everyone knows, you know, the Rosenbergs and many other well-known mafia people were executed in the electric chair. And I happened to notice that the oldest person ever executed there was a man whose last name was Fish, and first name was actually listed as Albert. And I did a little research just because there was something about his bio in this book that really looked intriguing. And, of course, learning more about him, he's probably the most intriguing psychopath there could be, very, very disturbed guy. And Mm. as I decided to look him up, um, I went to the public library there in Peekskill, and I found that the date of his execution was January 16, 1936, and I looked up his name, which actually was listed as Hamilton Fish, because mm-hmm. Albert was not his real name. It was his pseudonym. So, oh. I, yes, I looked up his name, in H- Hamilton Fish and the Microfiche, and I found this newspaper article, and as I was staring at it, It said, Fish faces death in the electric chair as supreme thrill. He was also a masochist, and it gives you a sense of his depravity. He was looking forward to his own electrocution as a thrill. And I was reading this article, and then I just happened to notice on the exact same front page, just my eyes glanced over to the left, another Hamilton fish dies in the south of a famous family. And I truly just stared at it thinking... Is this kind of like, you know, maybe a misprint, or is there some kind of, you know, what, what, this, this is, I'm reading about this Hamilton fish, and, and sure enough, I, you know, just read that other article, and it said Hamilton fish, kin of a congressman, who is, you know, a most very, very famous congressman up in this area of New England. There's a bridge called the Hamilton Fish Bridge. And, you know, not coming from that part of the country myself, the name wasn't that familiar to me. But I soon learned just from talking to my grandmother. In fact, she recalled the name Hamilton Fish as being a um, a member of Roosevelt's cabinet. And I learned that that was the much more famous Hamilton Fish. The other Hamilton Fish who died on the exact same day was a serial killer who, if you look up the name Hamilton Fish, you're much more likely to find information about this the, this really disturbing serial killer who um, actually was uh, a cannibal as well. 
and he mostly his victims were mostly children, which oh. is how frightening. Yeah, and he's just you know one of to date the most um, horrific serial killers I've ever encountered, um, and it just so happens that they, you know, died exactly one day apart, but their deaths were printed on the same front page. So um, I just dis- I just discovered a coincidence, and I think I even remember pointing it out to the librarian at that moment, saying, you know, can I just show you this? This looks really strange to me. And I've never found anybody to make any sense of it, you know. Um, so what eventually started to happen was I, I kind of began wondering if, you know, in terms of making sense of things like this, if the one person that might have... Uh, could have deliberately put these two articles on the same front page, could have maybe been the editor of that newspaper. And that mm-hmm. was the Peekskill Evening Star News. So the editor of the Peekskill Evening Star News became a character in my mind that I just grew more and more fascinated with. And as I started researching both of the Hamilton Fish characters, um, the more I realized that I myself was the editor in a new kind of way, you know, that I basically was, um, you know, becoming a type of editor. And when I made the film, I put the the most important thing that I realized, I made a first draft of this film in an art gallery because my background is as a visual artist and I make art that I mostly show in the capacity of galleries and, you know, things are shown not in film festivals, but in galleries. And I showed this, and, and people were curious about these various characters that I had presented. It was at Marginal Utility Gallery, a nonprofit gallery in Philadelphia. And um, I showed it there, and I, it, as soon as I saw this draft of the film, I realized, oh, the missing link is the editor. And that became the oh. character that I played in the yes, film. you did, and very, yes. very impressively with a little the suit and the hat. <laughs> yes, yep, were. that was my uh, interpretation of what an editor might look like and dress like from 1936. Yes. And um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, so that was. Um, I don't know if I gave you a, a, too long of an explanation or not quite well, enough. Well, no, that it, is fascinating. It really <laughs> is fascinating. And I can tell by the enthusiasm in your voice how you <laughs> how you kind of became obsessed with this, sort mm-hmm. of similar to the character that you played, the editor in the, <laughs> in the film, how, how your yep. character there becomes so obsessed with uh, mm-hmm. sort of a voyeur, kind of, you know, really obsessed about the, uh, some of the morbid mm-hmm. things from the lives of these two men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> am I am I right on target there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say that that kind of is, you know, in a funny way, there's a real blurring between reality and fiction, and including in my own life. You know, I, I'm so totally obsessed with these people, and I actually met the living descendant of the politician Hamilton Fish, and meeting him honestly sparked the whole thing. I had just found this article, and a friend of mine, I met a friend recently after seeing this article, and I said, he he was talking about someone named Hamilton Fish. And I said, how do you know someone named Hamilton Fish? And he said, well, I work for the Nation magazine. 
And I said, oh. oh, well, the Nation magazine, you know, that I know that magazine. He said, well, yeah, the editor-in-chief is Hamilton Fish, and maybe he's related to one of these guys in your article. And so sure enough, I this this guy, his name is Max Blumenthal, and he's actually a well-known now um, – Pundit of sorts. He's he's on often on on various political shows. He's very politically active, and uh, he invited me to meet Hamilton Fish. I went and met him in his office, and actually we had a conversation about my other art because other projects that I've been working on actually have a lot of politics in them. Was another obsession of mine is political personalities that I've been sculpting for a while, and I was just showing him. I showed Hamilton. Fish, the fifth. That's who he was. I showed Hamilton Fish the fifth that work. And at the <laughs> end of this, <laughs> the end of this long meet, meeting at the nation headquarters, I said, you know, I really have to show you this because it's kind of funny. I pulled it out and I showed him this, you know, Xerox of a of a front page newspaper article. And he said, well, I don't know who this this guy is. And he pointed to the serial killer. He said, but this guy over here is definitely my great great grandfather. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, yeah, and as I left that office, I actually had the song in my head immediately. I, I rode my bike to the office, and I had the song in my head that eventually became like the overture for the film, and the song is called The Duel. And that song yeah. comes from the actual origins of the name, which you probably saw in the film at the end. I make up mention of this. The... The, the the name Hamilton Fish has its origins with the founding fathers with Alexander Hamilton. He oh. when he died, his very very best friend was a man named Nicholas Fish who fought in the Revolutionary War beside him. And when Alexander Hamilton was killed in a famous duel with Aaron Burr, in his honor Nicholas Fish named his son Hamilton, and that's how oh. the name. That's how the name originated, and it just continued on in that family. And so the name Hamilton Fish had its origins with the duel, which I thought was so, um, you know, perfect in this way. With It was aligned in my film, you know, conceptually because there's a duel between two men with the exact same name who, and two men who are like opposites, you know, exactly. one being the most extreme of horrific and the other being, you know, on a most extreme end of what we would think of as, you know, someone trying to do the public good, you know, a public servant. And um, so I thought of this oppositional, you know, nature of the duel. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because Hmm. I was wondering how you got the inspiration. uh, I I see how you got the inspiration for the story, the plot, the screenplay, but um how now you've now you've sort of brought us into the um the music uh, mm. and how 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 all of the music and songs came to you at the same time that you're having to do all of these other things to put put this project together the music and and uh, so I see now that what as you're doing one thing the music comes to you something else comes to you or could yeah. you maybe go into that a little bit more? Yes, of course. Well, truthfully, I would say this entire project comes down to the music because it really started as a song cycle. I, I didn't know at the moment when I wrote that song. I, I the last If you told me I, it was going to become a film, I probably would have said, I, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be a film. I didn't even expect okay. anything. I just simply had a song in my head as soon as I met 
Hamilton Fish the Fifth, and that's actually something that I often do. As I, I'm a musician as well as an artist, and I I write songs kind of compulsively. I have a a big backlog of songs that not many people have heard. I have a a very small, um, maybe growing now, but um, small number of people that know that I'm a, a closet songwriter. But it, it weaves into my work in lots of ways, and as an artist, basically. A lot of times the backbone of my ideas comes from a song that I've written. So so I got this idea for this song, and then I just actually kept getting more ideas for more songs the more I would research these characters because there was just so much depth to them and so much, you know, fascinating bits of information and also really, I would say, poet, poetic things that would just... I mean, I honestly feel like part of it was like... The God's handing me this. You know, I really don't mm-hmm. feel like I, I wrote it. I feel like I, I actually got handed this from some other, you know, dimension. Because, for instance, like the the killer's name, and I kept coming across this in the in the articles. You know, the kind of yellow journal, journalism of the time would call him the, the werewolf of Wisteria, and I mm-hmm. kept, kept, you know, that that was like. There you go. Here's a here's a title of the song. <laughs> you know, yes. he's beautiful. It was just such a you know, hand. It was a gift of poetry that that was just handed to me. So um, oh. yeah. So and then also well, like the song. Yeah, keep going. Sorry. We should mention here uh, while we're talking about the music that uh, you you have written three operas. I I I think mm-hmm. I remember that from reading your um your resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three. Three operas. Yes, I well, so I could say that basically, I have written various operas that are I would call them more experimental operas. You know, they're not traditional um, operas, but but like this film, which had its origins in songs that I wrote. And basically, I created songs that are in the style that I tend to write, which is sort of a rock songs or um, kind of traditional songwriting. You know, where I I have lyrics and I sing the songs myself. I have similar um, two other operas that I had written were also because I had written songs and then I wove together a narrative. One um, actually is about aliens. <laughs> it's called Alien Sons. And um, that piece I only did one performance of. And it uh, it was a really neat little performance where two aliens come from different species and they um, they fall in love, but they their love is unrequited because they come from, um, you know, different species and they have different eras as well. So I guess in some ways maybe there's a, a connection here with the uh, two polar opposites. So that in another film or another, um, sorry, another opera was based on The Outsider, which is a short story by H.P. Lovecraft. And I also wove together songs with dancers and a narrative as well. Um, And these were were performances that I did in my own kind of small capacity. Um, But they had their, you know, little... um, little showings, but I, you know, I haven't really done anything to this level. Um, and this is my well, first feature film. Well, it is. I, I understand that. And uh, it's so well done for, for your first uh, try at feature filmmaking. And I, mm-hmm. um, what was your biggest challenge in, in making this film? 
Well, I would say that, you know, the the things that challenge most filmmakers, now that I could say that I have made a film, I'm a filmmaker, I, um, you know, raising money to get this thing started and finding the supporters, the people who will trust your vision, that's really the hard thing. And, um, you know, in a funny way, once I had, you know, the infrastructure in place and the funding in place, I, I was fiscally sponsored through the New York Foundation for the Arts, Making the film was really, um, you know, the, the, there's there's things that were hard in the actual process of making the film, um, you know, day-to-day things that happen on film sets. But um, one, one of the things that was just uh, a challenge was getting to that point of getting the film set, uh, you know, ready to go. And um, I would say that actually once I had the funding in place, it all, you know, I, I really carried it out in the way that I envisioned. Um, and I shot the scenes in the way I imagined. And I saw that you had asked an earlier question just uh, in an email, you know, if I had all the money in the world, what would I have done? And I think, I, I don't know that I would have done things that much differently. Um, there were a few locations that I wanted to shoot at that I might have been able to, with more money, uh, get access. But in the end, I think some of my locations are like some of the best on the planet for exactly what I wanted. And in fact, I, I shot in Aaron Burr's house. That's the other really cool thing is that there's so many historic locations that directly feed into the narrative. Um, Aaron Burr lived in a house that's now a preserved historic home called the Morris Jamel Mansion here in New York. And they were really happy to allow me to shoot in the, in the mansion. So I have some scenes that are shot there, and uh, I, I can't think of something I would have done all that different, except, um, you know, things obviously go easier when you have a bigger budget, I think. Um, well, I don't know what else. I, I, it wouldn't be the same <laughs> film. Don't touch it. No, don't touch a thing. I, oh. mean, <laughs> I mean, it was just well, actually, the way, the way one, it was. Yeah. Well, and maybe maybe one other thing that I would say is the hard part. So I I basically finished the film over a year ago, but it's been it is an unusual film, as you know. It's a film which is a a song cycle. It's entirely sung in my voice. And that has been a very hard sell for festivals. And, you know, mm-hmm. if I, my my big uh, challenge has been to get people to like it and understand it and include it in film festivals. And, you know, the, that's why um, I was really amazed with the New England Underground Film Festival giving it the Best Picture Award because I just, um, I had, you know, my, my experience with festivals has been, you know, they, they said, well, this is kind of interesting but is this really a film? We can't quite figure this out. You know, it really doesn't follow the rules. I actually had one festival um, give those kinds of notes. In fact, they, they almost said something like, we can't quite determine what to categ- how to categorize this film. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah. So, But I will say one other thing is that part of the most interesting thing that happened with my experience with festivals was the very first festival to get this film after I applied, you know, to lots of American festivals was a festival in Hong Kong called the Pineapple Underground Film Festival. And Mm -hmm. I still remember my disbelief when I saw that I had been accepted into it. And I thought, oh, this festival is in Hong Kong. Well, this is a story that takes place in a little tiny 
area within upstate New York. It's a, almost like a regional story. And I, you know, I, wow, I'll be showing it in Asia. That's interesting. And then I got an email following that from Gina Wong, who's the producer of the Pineapple Underground Film Festival. And she said, well, you you need to come out here to perform this film because obviously that's what will make it really work. And I thought, Oh, okay. Well, that would be cool if that's possible. But, you know, you're in Hong Kong. And sure enough, she said, well, we'll fly you out here because it's necessary. And that actually, when I was on the plane flying to Hong Kong, realizing that somebody across the planet saw my film and got it, that's what actually gave me faith that, you know, I I knew and trusted my vision and I wasn't going to change anything. And I really, really you know, love my own film. I feel like it it works, but I just wasn't feeling like anyone else was understanding it until that moment. And I realized, oh. wow, this has the capacity not just to be understood, you know, by other people, but people on the other, you know, from a whole different culture from mine, you know, who may not even speak the language. And so I performed the film live in Hong Kong. And that um, was just an awesome experience and they really liked it. And um, so what I was going to say about the New England Under- Underground Film Festival was that is the very first festival to screen it without my live performance. And I actually yeah. have not shown any other film festivals, I should say. So my two festival experiences are the one in Hong Kong and the other at the New England Underground Film Festival, which was a pure screening and it won Best Picture. So oh, it's it, was so a, exciting. it was a big confidence booster for me. Yes, and so... As this interview is as well, you know, I feel like the the film is getting its champions now and um, people are, the people who are seeing it are really able to to grasp what it is. And I did a very, very small showing at a theater in Brooklyn, New York. Um, oh. Yes, it was a one small showing. It wasn't part of a festival. It was a, kind of a summer showing. And um, a, a curator from the Tribeca Film Festival named John Gartenberg came mm-hmm. to came to the screening and wrote me an email after telling me how much he liked the film. And Yay. he wrote the most beautiful little synopsis of it that I actually started using in uh, you know in emails to other uh, programmers. And it was sort of his um, you know I've had these few really really great champions now who are helping me with it. But I would say my biggest challenge has been to find um, find my supporters for this film. And well, I'm, uh, you, you, you'll get it. I mean, you, <laughs> uh, because the, but I, I think it's important that, that um, our listeners know that this is such an unusual film, mm-hmm. and that's that's my worry about mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. so that's why I was so happy that you agreed to come on the show and, and be interviewed so that we could spread the word about the film. And I, I think that people will want to will want to see it after they hear mm-hmm. how excited other people get about it. But right now, there's there's not a way for everyone to see it but but there there's a, a trailer 
for the film, yeah. and there's a lot about the movie on your mm-hmm. website. I think this is a good time for you mm-hmm. to uh, tell our listeners where they can find out more information about the film and about and about you. Yeah. So, what are the links that that you would would like to share with the listeners? So, so what I will first say is that because the film is in the process of being shown in festivals and of having its first, you know, little bit of theatrical showing, I have not yet had a distributed so right. that is going to happen, and you can find updates for that on my website for the film, which is called www.lives, plural, word life, plural, lives of hamiltonfish.com. So it's all one word, lives of hamiltonfish, lives of hamiltonfish. Dot com, and yes. I'll be posting updates and including if uh, if it shows in a city that some of your listeners uh, will be in. And in fact, there's a contact button. So if anybody you know simply wants to contact me, and um, you know maybe potentially find a way to screen it in an area, who knows, uh, Colorado, for instance, um, I'd be more than happy yeah. to be in touch with people. So feel free to look on the website. And that's www.hamilton, no, no, wait a minute, I'm going to start again. you got the three W's and a dot, and then it's Mm -hmm. lives, Mm L-I-V-E-S, of Mm hamiltonfish.com. So I want all the listeners to go over to that site (laughs) and find out more more about it. www.livesofhamiltonfish.com. And also, if uh, for now there are some links on YouTube to some live performances. If you were to type my name, Rachel Mason, and the word Hamilton Fish into the YouTube search button, you'll also see some or the search. Uh, go into YouTube and type in search and type Rachel Mason and Hamilton Fish, and that you can see some live performances. So you can on see YouTube. how it looks like. Yes, and I perform in costume in the same character that I play in the film. So it's this kind of doubling experience where I um, stand in front of a, the audience and perform as though I you know, have emerged out of the screen and now I'm here in the audience. <laughs> um, I've got to see that. I'm going to do – I'm glad you told me. I, uh, yeah. I just love YouTube. So I, oh, I'll, after, yeah. right after the show, I'm going to ch- check over oh, there to I, see yeah, that. Oh, sorry I didn't mention it to you. <laughs> um, I'm, well, I'm so glad uh, you I, did. And I was going to say it regarding the unusual nature of the film, so listeners are aware – the film is is basically like a concert, if you could imagine. You know, if you're seeing somebody perform, the only thing is that it's a entire film, which is a concert, and it's a it's a it's a musical film. And the the voice coming out of all of the characters' mouths is my own voice. So I'm singing the whole film, and that's what makes it um, particularly unusual. Is it is a um it's a very personal you know kind of approach i i have just you know i'm singing all of the songs in the film so i'm glad you did i'm glad you did now <laughs> listeners you may think that that's a, a bit, that that would be a bit off putting but it isn't mm-hmm. it just adds it enhances sort of the dreamlike uh atmosphere <laughs> 
<laughs> of the film. I I thought that was that was brilliant that you that you did that. And I I loved your cast members. Your the two actors that you chose for uh, the two fishes. Yeah. <laughs> how did you get How did you get these two marvelous <laughs> actors? They they really are marvelous, and I'm really glad that you mentioned them. Um, I I love the whole cast. Um, the 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 Hamilton Fish, who is the politician, is played by Theodore Belukas, and the Hamilton Fish, who is the serial killer, is played by Bill Whedon. And um, the way that it originally started was I actually um, I put out a casting call. And I did not really know how to use the service of actors access, but I put up this, you know, casting call, and I um, I got an email from somebody who actually seemed to know my work, and that was Theodore Belukas, and he wrote me this very beautiful long email about how he'd seen my work in various places, and I was actually very impressed that he as an actor knew about my work as an artist because those two worlds don't often overlap but as I learned more about Theo Theodore Blucas I learned that he has been in many films of many of my friends in fact and he is very much an artist's muse he's in a lot of art films and after meeting with him I could tell that he would be able to um, to understand how to play the part in a more unusual film you know he would have Mm -hmm. to and I was also struggling with casting because I couldn't figure out how to um, open up this actor's access. You know, to get, I thought I wasn't getting any responses to this. So kind of a funny story, but Theo um, said, well, I could recommend someone to you who I think would be really marvelous for the role of a killer. And I said, well, who would that be? And he recommended Bill Whedon. And I had an audition with Bill Whedon, and also with Bill, his biography really made sense for the film, because Bill himself is a songwriter and has for years written songs in a um, in a variety oh. of capacities. Yes, and so he has a really wonderful musical sensibility, and it was very easy for him to step into the role of having to sing these songs rather than speak because that was a really big challenge for the actor. Now the funny thing is that later on I found out from uh, the line producer of my film, Josh Fullen, and I said, you know, I never got any responses to my actor's access um, posting, job posting. And he said, well, did you open up the inbox on the actor's access? And I said, no, I didn't. And I opened it up and there were tons and tons of applicants. And I realized, wow, this is really funny because I cast Theo and Bill, who I was absolutely happy with, and I realized, well, you know, in a strange way, similar to my film, things just kind of happened um, by coincidence or by by circumstance or chance. And so I would say that Bill and Theo were kind of, I would say, also just sort of happenstance, the perfect actors that just fell into my lap. Um, I really kind of feel that way about them. And, um, and they they were uh, perfect for the for the parts, and um, mm-hmm. I also liked the little oh, little sort of Picasso type makeup mm. that yeah. that both of those characters wore on their on their face. What what was the reason for that? Well, I'm so glad that you. I don't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry, but yes, seriously, um, can you please? Okay, 
I love you. You are so enthusiastic, and <laughs> the, this I've seen trailers. I haven't seen the movie, of course, but, but I mean, we're almost running out of time, but I have to tell you that visually this movie is spectacular from the clips, and I put everything into the chat, like the YouTube, your Facebook, <laughs> your website. Um, I mean, wow, what a beautiful artist you are. <laughs> Just like in such awe. <laughs> Thank that's you. Nikki, I, that's, that's our Nikki, and Nikki knows, and Nikki knows an artist when she sees one, and here's one. Well, actually, <laughs> and that was the question I wanted to throw in was the Picasso paint and how it adds to the beauty and depth. And so I'll be quiet, but I just wanted to tell you before we ran out of time, you're so great. Oh, uh, well, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Nikki. And um, I was going to say, you know, knowing your background as a graphic designer, graphic artist, I also. Was, I'd be really happy to mention this fact because it's one of the most important things about the aesthetic of the film. When I was studying the era of the 30s, which is an era I continue to study, I, I love this period in architecture, in art. And, you know, it's also similar, as I've said, this is kind of a dream for me to have been, to have been able to make a film that took place in 1936 because... So much was happening in abstraction in art, as you know from being, you know, a graphic artist. This was a moment when graphic arts and abstraction, you know, was just really exploding. And that's why it's great that you mentioned Picasso because he comes out of that moment when Cubism was developing. And so part of what I was trying to do in this film, but it, it wasn't so much that I was trying to do it. I was just indulging in something that I. My personal fantasy, you know, I I love Cubist paintings and I love abstraction. And that era um, that the film takes place in is is this era in art and also, um, I should say, certain movements in art where artists were were attempting to no longer just reproduce nature in, in the ways that you see in paintings where they're trying to make a copy of exactly what they see, but instead to allow the reproductions to be subjective and to have shapes that are hard-edged and distorted and that those distortions become the way that you see an image. So it can be like a refracted, mirrored, sharded you know, reflection of a face. As that's why when you mentioned Picasso... That's exactly what I am going for. And so I immediately knew that I had to make two paintings in the editor's office. And if you see in the film, there's always these two abstract paintings on either side of the editor mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. his desk. And those are the paintings of one Hamilton fish and the other Hamilton fish. And I made the, the face makeup of the two Hamilton fishes reflect those paintings so that each Hamilton fish has their own abstracted, almost like stamp, right on their face. And if you notice the editor's face, my face mm -hmm. in the film, I have a combination of their, of their stamps directly overlaid onto mine. And it also speaks to the history of rock operas and the kind of just straightforward... You know, we are wearing makeup, and this is this is a this is a um, you know created environment. And to me, um, another place of my inspiration is um, the Weimar era in Germany, 
especially um, films like Dr. Caligari, where sets are very much abstracted, hard-angled, and also kind of confusing in terms of the depth of space and things looking like there might be a painting. Um, so basically, I just really indulged all of these um, formal things. You know, in, in art terminology, the word formal doesn't mean fancy. It means um, the use of form. And uh, for me, the formal aesthetic is so crucial to the film because it is is basically its own kind of story. And um, and it's about the idea that I've, as an editor, taken it upon myself to create this fantasy. And, um, you know, it's like taking a bunch of broken mirrors and creating something out of it. It's going to be this kind of refracted and strange-looking thing. So... Um, and- it worked. It definitely worked, and I I did want to ask. Uh, our time has has just gone by so fast. Uh, you you're just like like your film. You've just uh, you know hypnotized me. <laughs> oh wow! I let the time I let the time go by, and uh, right. But I but I hope that uh, that we've we've helped get the word out about about this uh, terrific film and. Uh, I, th- I think what um, what we're going to do. Uh, I'm sorry that I didn't have enough time to to do some of our traditional uh, announcements. But uh, in honor of your uh, of your wonderful film, we're going to uh, play some outro music. It isn't your music, but maybe sometime you'll send us an MP3 and we'll please we'll, we'll do we'll do that. But yeah. but Nikki and I have a favorite film. And um, it, uh, there's makeup involved in it, and I think there's yes. some rock involved in it. And I don't think it's a necessarily an opera; it's more a musical. But we're all gonna go out <laughs> doing, and Nikki knows what we're gonna do. We're gonna go out doing the time warp again. Thank you so much, Rachel. We wish you all the best. We wish you so much. Good luck with with your wonderful <laughs> movie, and we're 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 going to have you back later. Will you come back later? Of course, I would be glad to. Thank Yay. you. Fantastic. So we're going to really say fun. bye for now, and uh, it's astounding. Time is fleeting, so here comes the time warp again. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll, but listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control.
soy el Han. No, not at all. In another dimension. With voyeuristic intention. Well secluded. I see all. With a bit of a mind slip. You're into the time slip. And nothing can ever be the same. You see subtle sensations. 